Jeffrey, welcome back to Night Falls. Come settle in for tonight's soothing bedtime story. As always, don't worry if you fall asleep before the end. You can drift off whenever you're ready. Before we start, I'd like to invite you to let me know how you're enjoying Night Falls. Please use the link in the show notes or leave us a review. I love hearing from you. I recently heard from someone who refers to themselves as a drug-resistant insomniac who says my stories finally send them to sleep. Thank you for reaching out. That means so much, and I'm really glad that we can help. Come, settle in beside the fire, as I tell you a tale I have cherished since my childhood. This is Aladdin's story, as it was first told, by word of mouth, and perhaps around campfires, just like the one before us. Maybe I like this story so much because it serves as a reminder that when chasing down big dreams, one should always leave a little time to get swept away by the more unexpected opportunities that stumble into life. Aladdin's story reminds me that the greatest adventures tend to be the ones that went entirely unplanned. Before we begin, here's a word from our valued sponsors make this free content possible. If you've been feeling overwhelmed with anxiety lately, try listening to a guided meditation on the Meditation for Anxiety podcast. Meditation is a proven natural way to help you calm down and dissolve stress so you can feel lighter and happier. So subscribe for free today to the Meditation for Anxiety podcast by searching for Meditation for Anxiety on your favorite podcast player. For the best way to fall asleep with Nightfalls, you can now become a premium supporter. Enjoy the entire back catalogue of Nightfalls classics, all with a rich, immersive and totally ad-free experience. If you love falling asleep to Nightfalls, Nightfalls Premium will elevate your sleep while helping to support myself and the team. We love creating Nightfalls, but without supporters, it wouldn't be possible. Join Nightfalls Premium today in just two tabs on both Apple Podcasts or via the Supercast link found in the show notes for all other podcast players. Your sleep will thank you for it, and so will I. There once lived a poor tailor who had a son called Aladdin. A careless boy who would do nothing but play all day long in the streets. One day, when he was playing as usual, a stranger asked him if he was the son of Mustafa the tailor. 
I am, sir, replied Aladdin, but he passed away a long while ago. On this, the stranger, who was a famous African magician, fell to his knee and hugged him, saying, I am your uncle and knew you from your likeness to my brother. Go to your mother and tell her I am coming. Aladdin ran home and told his mother of his newly found uncle. Indeed, child, she said, your father had a brother, but I never met him. She prepared supper and bade Aladdin seek his uncle, who came laden with wine and fruit. He fell down and kissed the place where Mustafa used to sit, bidding Aladdin's mother not to be surprised at not having seen him before, as he had been forty years out of the country. He then turned to Aladdin and asked him his trade, at which the boy hung his head while his mother wept. On learning that Aladdin was a lazy boy and had learned no trade, he offered to help. The next day he bought Aladdin a fine suit of clothes and took him all over the city, showing him the sights, and brought him home at nightfall to his mother, who was overjoyed to see her son so fine. The following day the magician led Aladdin into some beautiful gardens, a long way outside the city gates. They sat down by a fountain and the magician pulled a cake from his girdle, which he divided between them. Then they journeyed onwards till they almost reached the mountains. Aladdin was so tired that he begged to go back, but the magician beguiled him with pleasant stories and led him on. At last, they came to two mountains divided by a narrow valley. We will go no further, said his uncle. I will show you something wonderful. You gather up sticks while I kindle the fire. When it was lit, the magician said some magic words and threw a powder on the fire. The earth trembled a little in front of them disclosing a square flat stone with a brass ring in the middle to raise it by. Aladdin tried to run away, but the magician caught him. Fear nothing but obey me. Beneath this stone lies a treasure which is to be yours, and no one else may touch it, so you must do exactly as I tell you. At the word treasure, Aladdin forgot his fears and grasped the ring as he was told, saying the names of his father and grandfather. The stone came up quite easily, and some steps appeared. Go down, said the magician. At the foot of those steps you will find an open door, leading into three large halls. Tuck up your gown and go through them, without touching anything. These halls lead into a garden of fine fruit trees, Walk on until you come to a terrace where stands a lighted lamp. Pour out the oil it contains and bring it to me. He drew a ring from his finger and gave it to Aladdin, bidding him prosper. Aladdin found everything as the magician had said, 
gathered some fruit off the trees, and, having got the lamp, arrived at the mouth of the cave. The magician cried out in a great hurry, Make haste and give me the lamp. This Aladdin refused to do until he was out of the cave. The magician flew into a terrible passion and, throwing some more powder onto the fire, the stone rolled back into its place. The man left the country, which plainly showed that he was no uncle of Aladdin's, but a cunning magician who had read in his magic books of a wonderful lamp which would make him the most powerful man in the world. Though he alone knew where to find it, he could only receive it from the hand of another. He had picked out the naive Aladdin for this purpose. For two days Aladdin remained in the dark. At last, he clasped his hands in prayer and in doing so rubbed the ring, which the magician had forgotten to take from him. Immediately, an enormous genie rose out of the earth, saying, What wouldst thou with me? I am the slave of the ring, and will obey thee in all things. Aladdin fearlessly replied, Deliver me from this place. Whereupon the earth opened, and he found himself outside. As soon as his eyes could bear the light, he went home. He told his mother what had passed, and showed her the lamp and the fruits he had gathered in the garden, which were in reality precious stones. He then asked for some food. Alas, child, she said, I have nothing in the house, but I have spun a little cotton, and will go sell it. Aladdin bade her keep her cotton, for he would sell the lamp instead. As it was very dirty, she began to rub it, that it might fetch a higher price. Instantly, a genie appeared and asked what she would have. Aladdin grabbed the lamp and said boldly, Fetch me something to eat. The genie returned with a silver bowl, twelve silver plates containing rich meats, two silver cups, and two bottles of wine. They sat at breakfast till it was dinner time, and Aladdin told his mother about the lamp. She begged him to sell it, but Aladdin refused. Since chance has made us aware of its virtues, we will use it, and the ring likewise, which I shall always wear on my finger. When they had eaten all the genie had brought, Aladdin sold one of the silver plates, and so on until none were left. He then had recourse to the genie, who gave him another set of plates, and thus they lived for many years. One day, Aladdin heard an order from the Sultan, who proclaimed that everyone was to stay at home and close his shutters, while the princess, his daughter, went to and from the baths. Aladdin was seized by a desire to see her face, which was very difficult, as she always went veiled. He hid himself behind the door of the baths and peeped through a chink. The princess lifted her veil as she went in 
and looked so beautiful that Aladdin fell in love with her at first sight. He went home changed. He told his mother how he loved the princess so deeply he could not live without her and meant to ask her father for her hand in marriage. His mother, on hearing this, burst out laughing. But Aladdin at last prevailed upon her to go before the sultan and carry his request. She fetched a napkin and laid in it the magic fruits from the enchanted garden, which sparkled and shone like the most beautiful jewels. She took these with her to please the sultan and set out, trusting in the lamp. The Grand Vizier and the Lords of Council had just gone in as she entered the hall and placed herself in front of the sultan. He, however, took no notice of her. She went every day for a week and stood in the same place. When the council broke up on the sixth day, the sultan said to his vizier, I see a certain woman in the audience chamber every day carrying something in a napkin. Call her next time that I may find out what she wants. Next day, at a sign from the vizier, she went up to the foot of the throne and remained kneeling until the sultan said to her, Rise, good woman, and tell me what you want. She hesitated, so the sultan sent away all but the vizier and bade her speak freely, promising to forgive her beforehand for anything she might say. She then told him of her son's love for the princess. I prayed him to forget her, she said, but he threatened to do some desperate deed if I refused to go and ask your majesty for the hand of the princess. The sultan asked her kindly what she had in the napkin, whereupon she unfolded the jewels and presented them. He was thunderstruck, and turning to the vizier said, what do you think? Ought I not to bestow the princess on one who values her at such a price? The vizier, who wanted her for his own son, begged the sultan to withhold her for three months, in the course of which he hoped his son could contrive to make him a richer present. The sultan granted this and told Aladdin's mother that, though he consented to the marriage, she must not appear before him again within three months. When the three months were over, Aladdin sent his mother to remind the sultan of his promise. She stood in the same place as before, and the sultan, who had forgotten Aladdin, at once remembered him and sent for her. On seeing her poverty, the sultan felt less inclined than ever to keep his word and asked his vizier's advice who counseled him to set so high a value on the princess that no living man would come up to it. The sultan then turned to Aladdin's mother, saying, Good woman, the sultan must remember his promises, and I will remember mine. But your son must first send me forty basins of gold, brimful of jewels, carried by eighty servants, splendidly dressed. Tell him that I await his answer. 
the mother of Aladdin bowed low and went home, thinking all was lost. She gave Aladdin the message, and her son replied, I would do a great deal more than that for the princess. He summoned the genie, and in a few moments the eighty servants arrived and filled up the small house and garden. Aladdin made them set out to the palace, two by two, followed by his mother. They were so richly dressed, with such splendid jewels, that everyone crowded to see them and the basins of gold they carried on their heads. They entered the palace and knelt before the sultan, while Aladdin's mother presented them to the sultan. He hesitated no longer, but said, Good woman, return and tell your son that I wait for him with open arms. She lost no time in telling Aladdin. But Aladdin first called the genie. I want a scented bath, he said, a richly embroidered habit, a horse surpassing the sultan's, and twenty servants to attend me. Besides this, six servants beautifully dressed to wait on my mother, and lastly, ten thousand pieces of gold in ten purses. No sooner said than done. Aladdin mounted his horse and passed through the streets, the servants strewing gold as they went. Those who had played with him in his childhood knew him not. He had grown so handsome. When the sultan saw him, he came down from his throne, embraced him, and led him into a hall where a feast was spread, intending to marry him to the princess that very day. But Aladdin refused, saying, I must build a palace fit for her, and took his leave. Once home, he said to the genie, Build me a palace of the finest marble set with jasper, agate, and other precious stones. In the middle you shall build me a large hall with a dome, its four walls of massy gold and silver, each having six windows, whose lattices, all except one which is to be left unfinished, must be set with diamonds and rubies. There must be stables and horses and grooms. Go and see about it. The palace was finished the next day, and the genie carried him there, and showed him all his orders faithfully carried out, even to the laying of a velvet carpet from Aladdin's palace to the sultan's. Aladdin followed his mother to the palace on horseback. The sultan sent musicians with trumpets and cymbals to meet them, so that the air resounded with music and cheers. At night, the princess said goodbye to her father and set out on the carpet for Aladdin's palace with his mother at her side and followed by the hundred servants. She was charmed at the sight of Aladdin who ran to receive her. Princess, he said, blame your beauty for my boldness if I have displeased you. She told him that, having seen him, she willingly married him. After the wedding had taken place, Aladdin led her into the hall, where a feast was spread, and she supped with him, after which they danced till midnight. Next day, Aladdin invited the sultan to see the palace. On entering the hall with the four-and-twenty windows with their rubies, diamonds, and emeralds, he cried, 
It is a world's wonder. There is only one thing that surprises me. Was it by accident that one window was left unfinished? No, sir. By design, returned Aladdin. I wished your majesty to have the glory of finishing this palace. The sultan was pleased and sent for the best jewelers in the city. He showed them the unfinished window and bade them fit it up like the others. Sir, replied their spokesman, I cannot find jewels enough. The sultan had his own fetched, which they soon used, but to no purpose, for in a month's time the work was not half done. Aladdin, knowing that their task was in vain, bade them undo their work and carried the jewels back, and the genie finished the window at his command. The sultan was surprised to receive his jewels again and visited Aladdin, who showed him the window finished. The sultan embraced him, the envious vizier meanwhile hinting that it was the work of enchantment. Aladdin had won the hearts of the people by his gentle bearing. He was made captain of the sultan's armies and won several battles for him, but remained as courteous as before and lived thus in peace and content for several years. But far away in Africa, the magician remembered Aladdin and by his magic arts discovered that Aladdin instead of perishing in the cave, had escaped and had married a princess with whom he was living in great honor and wealth. He knew that the poor tailor's son could only have accomplished this by means of the lamp and traveled night and day till he reached the capital of China, bent on Aladdin's ruin. As he passed through the town, he heard people talking everywhere about a marvelous palace. Forgive my ignorance, he asked. What is the palace you speak of? Have you not heard of Prince Aladdin's palace? Was the reply. The greatest wonder in the world. I will direct you if you have a mind to see it. The magician thanked him who spoke, and having seen the palace, knew that it had been raised by the genie of the lamp and became half-mad with rage. He determined to get hold of the lamp and again plunge Aladdin into the deepest poverty. Unluckily, Aladdin had gone a-hunting for eight days, which gave the magician plenty of time. He bought a dozen lamps, put them into a basket, and went to the palace crying, New lamps for old, followed by a jeering crowd. The princess, sitting in the hall of four and twenty windows, sent someone to find out what the noise was about, who came back laughing. Asm, she replied, an old fool is offering to exchange fine new lamps for old ones. Another servant, hearing this, said, There is an old one on the cornice there which he can have. Now, this was the magic lamp, which Aladdin had left there, as he could not take it out hunting with him. The princess not knowing its value, laughingly bade the servant take it and make the exchange. She went and said to the magician, Give me a new lamp for this one. He snatched it and bade the servant take her choice amid the jeers of the crowd. 
little he cared, but left off carrying his lamps and went out of the city gates to a lonely place where he remained till nightfall when he pulled out the lamp and rubbed it. The genie appeared and at the magician's command carried him together with the palace and the princess in it to a lonely place in Africa. Next morning, the sultan looked out of the window towards Aladdin's palace and rubbed his eyes, for it was gone. He sent for the vizier and asked what had become of the palace. The vizier looked out too and was lost in astonishment. He again put it down to enchantment, and this time the sultan believed him and sent thirty men on horseback to fetch Aladdin back. They met him riding home and forced him to go with them on foot. The people who loved him followed with concern. Aladdin begged to know what he had done. False wretch, said the sultan, come hither, and showed him from the window the place where his palace had stood. Aladdin was so amazed, he could not say a word. Where is your palace and my daughter? demanded the sultan. For the first, I am not so deeply concerned, but my daughter I must have, and you must find her. Aladdin begged for forty days in which to find her. For three days he wandered about like a madman, asking everyone what had become of his palace, but they only laughed and pitied him. He came to the banks of a river and knelt down to say his prayers. In doing so, he rubbed the ring he still wore. The genie he had seen in the cave appeared and asked his will. Bring my palace back, Aladdin implored. That is not in my power, said the genie. I am only the servant of the ring. You must ask him of the lamp. Even so, said Aladdin, but thou canst take me to the palace and set me down under my dear wife's window. He at once found himself in Africa under the window of the princess and fell asleep out of sheer weariness. He was awakened by the singing of the birds, and his heart was lighter. He saw plainly that all his misfortunes were owing to the loss of the lamp, and vainly wondered who had robbed him of it. That morning, the princess rose earlier than she had done since she had been carried into Africa by the magician, whose company she was forced to endure once a day. As she was dressing, one of her women looked out and saw Aladdin. The princess ran and opened the window, and at the noise she made, Aladdin looked up. She called to him to come to her, and great was the joy of these lovers at seeing each other again. After he had kissed her, Aladdin said, I beg of you, princess, before we speak of anything else, for your own sake and mine, Tell me what has become of the old lamp I left on the cornice in the hall of four and twenty windows when I went a-hunting. Alas, she said, I am the innocent cause of our sorrows, and told him of the exchange of the lamp. Now I know, cried Aladdin, that we have to thank the magician for this, 
Where is the lamp? He carries it about with him, said the princess. I know, for he pulled it out of his robe to show me. He wishes me to break my faith with you and marry him. Aladdin comforted her and left her for a while. He changed clothes with the first person he met in the town, and having bought a certain powder, returned to the princess, who let him in by a side door. Put on your most beautiful dress, he said to her, and received the magician with smiles, leading him to believe that you have forgotten me. Invite him to supper with you, and say you wish to taste the wine of his country. You will go for some, and while he is gone, I will tell you what to do. She listened carefully to Aladdin, and when he left her, arrayed herself carefully for the first time since she left China. She put on a girdle and headdress of diamonds, and seeing in a glass that she was more beautiful than ever, received the magician, saying, to his great amazement, I have made up my mind. I am resolved to mourn Aladdin no more, and have therefore invited you to supper with me. But I am tired of the wines of China, and would fain taste those of Africa. The magician flew to his cellar, and the princess put the powder Aladdin had given her in her cup. When he returned, she asked him to drink her health in the wine of Africa, handing him her cup in exchange for his, as a sign she was reconciled to him. Before drinking, the magician made her a speech in praise of her beauty, but the princess cut him short, saying, Let us drink first, and you shall say what you will afterwards. She set her cup to her lips and kept it there, while the magician drained his to the dregs and fell back lifeless. The princess then opened the door to Aladdin and flung her arms around his neck. But Aladdin went to the magician, took the lamp out of his vest, and bade the genie carry the palace and all in it back to China. This was done, and the princess in her chamber felt a sense of wonder as the palace was transported across the world. Within seconds, she was home again. The sultan, who was mourning for his lost daughter, happened to look up and rubbed his eyes, for there stood the palace as before. He hastened to the palace, and Aladdin received him in the hall of the four and twenty windows, with the princess at his side. Aladdin told him what had happened, and showed him the body of the magician, that he might believe. A ten days' feast was proclaimed, and Aladdin and his wife lived in peace and tranquility for the rest of their days. He succeeded the sultan and reigned for many years, leaving behind him a long line of kings.